You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Today we're kicking off a new series uh, called Teachable. So hold that thought for just a moment. I want to start by asking you a question. Uh, when's the last time you, you polished up your resume, touched up your resume? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. Your resume's been fixed up some. Uh, how many of you have that spot on your resume where you list your skills, you know, where you're really bragging yourself? Yeah. Like, isn't that fun? Like all the things you're proficient in. Like I'm proficient in Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel. Boom. <laughs> if you're a computer programmer, like, you know, all the, all the languages you know how to program in, like Cobalt or whatever, I don't know, I don't think about computers. <laughs> then there's the part where you start, like, describing yourself, where you really have fun just bragging on yourself, like the soft skills, right? Like, I- I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a team player. I- I'm a quick study. I learn really fast. I'm, I'm punctual. I'm always on time. I'm the next best thing since sliced bread. You should hire me. You know that part, right, where you brag on yourself? And then there are the skills that you wish you could put on your resume that you can't. Come on, you know the things that really matter. Like, for example, where are all the people who have coffee skills in the house? Like, you, you're really good. Like, you, yeah, come on, some of you, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you have that barista thing going on. You can do the French press. You can do the, the pour over, the drip. Like, you should have that on your resume because you could really say to that potential employer, like, I could, you, I, I could have this whole place caffeinated. Like, the workforce here would be motivated. I'm just saying. Employee engagement and satisfaction would be through the roof if you hired me. Coffee skills. Some of you, where are the Italians at? Don't you wish you could just put that on your resume? Like, I'm Italian, right? Like, hey, I know people, you know? Like, if you hire me, like, if they mess with you, they mess with me, and I know people. And I know how to make it look like an accident. I'm just saying, bada boom, bada bing, you know? I make a phone call, take care of it. Where are the moms at? Come on, moms. Don't you moms just wish you could just put on your resume, I'm a mom. Boom. I'm a mom. What else do you need to know? Supervisor is interviewing you, wanting to know, can you multitask? Can I multitask? I'm a mom. Hello? I homeschooled my children in the midst of a global pandemic and made it to work and kept things going. I can work and clean a house. I can work and take care of kids. I can work and change diapers. I can work and breastfeed a child. Can you do that? (laughs) Some of y'all are on Zoom with like a blanket over you, nursing your child, keeping a company running. Come on, somebody. Moms, don't you just wish you could put that in your resume? I'm a mom. But but there's one skill that I think most of you probably don't have on your resume. It's really not so much a skill, but a character trait. And and, and it'll take you far in life. It'll take you far in your career. It'll take you far in your growth as a human being. And most importantly, as a follower of Jesus. And it's this character trait of teachability. And that's what we're talking about today. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. Because I I think this is really one of the most important qualities that we need to grow as, as human beings and as followers of Jesus, and it's really in short supply these days. In fact, most people in our culture, in this cultural moment that we're living in right now, most people would rather be right than be teachable. Most people would would rather be right, would prove to the world that their point of view is right, that they're morally superior than, than to be teachable. So let me ask you a question. How teachable are you? I think we often associate success with talent and smarts and working really hard and charm and even some good looks. Come over all the good-looking people. Your good looks have gotten you really far in life. There's a lot of things that we associate with, with success, but there's one thing that it, that it takes to succeed in life and in the kingdom of God that's in short supply these days, and it's this quality of, of teachability. See, after all, to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's not just to go to church. 
It's not just to be spiritual. It's not just to be religious. No, no. It's to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And a disciple is, is someone who is a, a student of a teacher, of a leader, or a philosopher. Hello, Jesus is our teacher. He's our leader, and he is our philosopher. He is our philosophy. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And so the question isn't how smart are you, how talented are you, how hardworking are you. The question is how teachable are you as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. My friend and one of my mentors, Pastor Matt Keller, says this. He says teachability is made up of two things, a desire to learn and a willingness to change. A desire to learn and a willingness to change. In fact, he gives this formula. You might want to take a picture of this. This will really help you. He says, desire to learn multiplied by your willingness to change, that equals your level of teachability. Somebody needs to take a picture of that. Somebody needs to put that in your notes today. Your, your desire to learn multiplied by your willingness to change, that equals your level of teachability. That equals your, your level of teachability in, in relationships and how you relate to people. Your, your desire to learn, time, your willingness to change will, will determine your, your level of teachability when it comes to your career, your, your field of work, when it comes to how you manage your finances, when it comes to your spiritual growth. When it comes to learning God's word and his principles and, and to get his heart, right, and to, to follow him, this really matters. And teachability obviously mattered to Jesus more than, than smarts and talent because look at the people that he chose to follow him. If, if you remember, look at the very first disciples, right, the apostles, the first 12 disciples. Jesus didn't call them to follow him because they were the smartest, the most talented, the elite, the best, the cream of the crop. No, no, no. If you remember, do you remember the, the occupation of the very first disciples that Jesus called? to follow him, like Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were what? They were fishermen. They were fishermen, right? That means that they were rabbi school dropouts. <laughs> because in Jesus' time, every young Jewish boy wanted to be a rabbi. They were like the rock stars of the day. But only the brightest and best got to be rabbis. Only the, the brightest and best would be invited by a rabbi to, to follow him and to learn from him and to be his apprentice. So if you're still fishing at the age of Peter and Andrew and James and John, that means you didn't make the cut. That means you weren't among the cream of the crop. You weren't among the brightest and the best. And so Jesus chose them not because they were the elite, not because they were the brightest and, and the best, but because they were humble and available. They were the kind of people that he could shape into the leaders who he was calling them to be, the kind of, the kind of people that he could shape into those who he would turn over his whole ministry, his legacy, and his church to. So the question is, are you teachable. Are you teachable? Now, let's contrast the disciples with the group of people that Jesus had the most difficult time with, the ones who found it most difficult to accept Jesus and his ministry. Do you know who they were? This, is, this isn't a trick question. This was the religious leaders, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers, the religious elite. Remember, Jesus didn't have a problem with sinners. Jesus got along with sinners really well. Jesus was a friend of sinners. It was the religious elite that Jesus ran into the most problems with. Why did they have a difficult time following Jesus? I mean, after all, these were men. They were passionate 
for the things of God. These were men who had committed their lives to studying the scripture. These were men who had committed themselves to following and observing the Old Testament laws and the regulations and the traditions and everything in the Torah and the, the first five books of the Old Testament. Like these men, were, these men were passionate for the things of God. What is it that stood in their way from accepting Jesus, from accepting his, his message? Well, I want to give you, you one idea today, and I think it's a major obstacle for us when it comes to being teachable and truly being disciples. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they were self-righteous. Everybody say self-righteous. Self-righteous. Now, I know what this word means because I Googled it. Here's what it is. Here's what self-righteous means. It means characterized by a certainty, especially an unfounded one, that one is totally correct or morally superior. I love that unfounded part. <laughs> it's unfounded that you're totally correct and morally superior. Now, according to that definition, we're probably all guilty of being self-righteous on social media. Because I don't know about you, but I come across posts all the time, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is the stupidest thing I read today. I think I lost an IQ points reading that post today. Anybody? Right? So there's the part of me thinking I'm smarter than somebody. And then I certainly come across stuff where I'm like, that person is morally jacked up, really. Like, I may have some bad days, but thank you, Lord, at least I'm not like that. Oh, come on, somebody. We do this on social media without even thinking about it. So according to how we do social media and we read people's posts, we're probably all a little bit self-righteous. I know it's hard for us to admit, but I'm going to be honest with you. Our natural drift as human beings, whether you consider yourself to be a follower of Christ or not, our natural drift is toward self-righteousness. And I want to talk to you about this today because this is one of the major obstacles that keeps us from being teachable, that keeps us from growing as human beings and certainly growing as followers of Jesus. In fact, I want to invite you back next week because next week I'm going to talk about several roadblocks that really get in the way that keep us from, from growing, that keep us from being teachable. But I want to give you one to start with today that, that can really shift your paradigm if you can get a hold of this. And so Jesus often condemned the Pharisees for their self-righteousness because it blinded them to their need for a savior. It blinded them to their need to, to repent. And so let me show you just one example. There's, there's so many, but let me just show you one from Matthew chapter 21, verses 31 through 32. Now, Jesus is in this kind of series of, of arguments with the Pharisees and kind of rebuking them, and, and he gives them these, this, these two par- this parable about two sons, and, and one does what God asks him to do, and the other doesn't do what the Father asks him to do. The Father represents God. And then he launches into this, Matthew 21, Verses 31 through 32. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John, this is John the Baptist, came to you to show you the way of righteousness. John the Baptist came to prepare the way of Jesus. If you don't remember, he came before Jesus and and he said, Repent, like the Messiah is coming. I'm preparing the way for Jesus. Okay, so John the Baptist came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Like, even after you saw the biggest sinners in our whole society, in our culture, like, coming to repentance, it didn't convince you. Jesus tells the religious elite like the priests, the most spiritual people in all of the the world that they were living in. In the culture they were living in, the context they were living in, he tells them that the worst sinners in town are getting into the kingdom of God 
before them. I mean, these were real sinners, okay? Like prostitutes, they were selling their bodies. Tax collectors, they were ripping people off. They were collaborating with the Roman Empire and oppressing their own people to get rich. They were real, legit sinners. And, and, and John, uh, Jesus says that the, 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 the tax collectors and the prostitutes are getting into heaven ahead of you. Can you imagine how scandalous that was? <laughs> you think there were a few people rolling their eyes, a little bit offended? Why would Jesus do that? Why would he say something like that? Well, I think one reason is he was trying to snap them out of their self-righteousness. He was trying to wake them them up and and help them realize that you're blinded by your self-righteousness. There's this one thing, like you're so close, like maybe you have some genuine passion for the things of God, because I think we beat up on the religious leaders too much. I think we're actually more like them than we realize at times. I think he was saying, like, you're so close to it. Like, you've studied God's word. You've committed yourself to honoring him. You've committed yourself to, to obeying the, the commandments and, and keeping the covenant. And, and you're so close, and you've put a lot of hard work in. You've put a lot of effort in. But you've got this one thing. It's blinding you from seeing how much you need me. And it's your own self-righteousness. And so let me give you a few ideas of how self-righteousness affects our teachability. You might want to put these in, in your notes today because you might have to help somebody with this. I know this isn't, about, this isn't about you, but you might have to share this with somebody one day. Are you paying attention? Come on, church. Come on, church. <laughs> how self-righteousness affects our teachability because we want to grow, right? We want to be teachable. If you can be teachable, listen to me, the sky is the limit. There's nothing stopping you from growing. There's nothing stopping you from learning. There's nothing stopping you from becoming more like Jesus. There's nothing stopping you from advancing uh, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a professional, as a family member, as a son, as a daughter. Like, we want to get this. We want to be teachable. And so we got to deal with this this whole thing of self-righteousness that affects our teachability. And so here's the first point. Number one, self-righteousness, it blinds us with limited perspective. Blinds us with limited perspective perspective. You see, the, the Pharisees, they were so invested in the Old Testament system, the way they were used to things being, that they had limited perspective. They, their, their perspective got so limited that they couldn't see the new thing that God was wanting to do, like sending his son, Jesus. God was wanting to do something new through his son, and the Pharisees were lecturing the Son of God about what God was doing in the world. No, no, no. We have it all straight. We have Moses. We have the Ten Commandments. We have the law. Like, we've got this God thing down. Thank you, Jesus. We don't need you, except what they didn't realize is he was the Son of God. He was the Son of God. He was coming to complete the work. He was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He was the fulfillment of everything they had studied. He was the fulfillment of everything they had poured their lives into. And if they could just open their eyes and not be blinded by their limited perspective, they would see that Jesus was the embodiment of everything they had studied their whole life. He was the fulfillment of all of the scriptures. He was the walking, talking word of God in their midst. And and they missed it. They missed it. How many of you ever get into an argument with somebody and you're so convinced that you're right, like you have all your reasons, you got your argument down, you're standing your ground, and then they introduce some new piece of information that you didn't know about, (laughs) the rest of the story? Come on, don't you hate when that happens? And like here you are, you were committed to your point of view. You were committed to your way of seeing things. You were committed to your version of the story. And then it just so happens to be that they knew something you didn't know and they filled you in and now you feel really stupid. Don't you hate that? Come on, we hate when that happens, doesn't it? Married people, this happens all the time. Husbands, this happens all the time. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. You were working with a limited perspective, weren't you? You were working with a limited perspective. See, when when you're self-righteous, your perspective becomes the perspective. 
Your perspective becomes the perspective. And, and this grieves me because, you know, this is even, this, this gets into the church. There are so many Christians right now that it's like, my perspective is the perspective. Let me go on social media and tell everybody, you know, how they should see things, except that there are a lot of other believers who have lived a different life than you, who come from a different background than you, a different church tradition than you, a different denomination than you, a different ethnic experience than you, a different socioeconomic experience than you. And it might help to position yourself as a listener and as a learner so that your perspective might grow just a little bit because you might discover that you just actually don't know everything there is to know. And guess what? That's okay. Come on, guys. That's okay. When you discover that you didn't, that you didn't know everything, you get to grow. You get to learn. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you. You get to grow. And so, so this is what self-righteousness does. It blinds, it blinds us with limited perspective. Number two, self-righteousness leads to moral superiority. That was in the definition before, right? Moral superiority. See, here's what's so fascinating. I love how the sinners that Jesus referred to, uh, they, they, were, they, they were able to accept his message. Why? Because they were under no delusion that they were morally superior. Come on, how many of you know when the religious elite of the culture are telling you all the time that you're a sinner, that you're condemned, that you're an outcast, right? That you, when, when they're always putting you in your place, you're under no delusion that you're morally superior. The, the sinners, these, these tax collectors and prostitutes, they, they weren't blinded by that. They weren't limited by that. So when Jesus came and showed up and started announcing the good news of the kingdom of God, right, and that this was open to everyone, that this was good news for the poor and the oppressed and, and that, that, that anybody could be included in this, this kingdom, that sounded like really good news to the sinners. Come on. The gospel should always sound like good news. When the gospel ceases to sound like good news for all of the world, it is no longer the gospel, Come on, let me preach that for a minute, because some people don't spin a really good gospel. Make sure whatever you're putting out there sounds good. Make sure whatever you're posting sounds good. Make sure when you're telling somebody about Jesus, when you're telling somebody about faith, when you're representing for the kingdom of God, make sure it sounds like good news for the whole world, or it ain't the gospel, because it's good news for everybody. It's good news for everybody. And so, so the, these sinners had no problem receiving it, but the religious leaders, they were so convinced that they were already right with God that they rejected not only John the Baptist, but Jesus himself, the embodiment of the good news. And isn't it so amazing, thinking about this point of moral superiority, isn't it so amazing that we profess to be saved by grace, right? By grace, through faith, that we've been saved. But man, it's so easy to look, it's so easy to look down on somebody who sins differently than us, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, we say, I'm saved by grace, it's, you know, by, it's through faith and it's not works. There's nothing I can do. We sing the songs about it. But man, it's so easy to see somebody else who's messed up or going through something and think, man, I'm so thankful I'm not like that. And we do it without even realizing it. We got to pay attention. We got to pay attention because self-righteousness, will, will, it'll creep you. It'll drift you toward moral superiority. Here's the third thing. Number three, self-righteousness causes you to be right with yourself but wrong with God. You know, you can be right with yourself, but wrong with God. Think about this for a moment. When you're self-righteous, who do you end up being right with? By its very definition, you end up being right with you. You end up being right with your, yourself, right? You're right in your own eyes. You're right in your eyes and your eyes alone according to your feelings and your standard. Like, this is the opposite of the righteousness of God, which is being right with God according to his ways, his word, his principles. You know, we can do that, right? We can be right with ourselves according to our feelings and our thoughts 
and our own standards. And the scripture says that our righteousness is actually like filthy rags, like, like compared to the righteousness of a holy God. You can just crumple it up and, and throw it away. Here's the deal. You can be right with yourself and wrong with God. Let me give you a simple illustration, okay? Let's say when it comes to forgiving someone. Anybody ever have somebody hurt you and it didn't feel like they deserved your forgiveness? My hand's up. I'm putting my hand up for you. If you don't put your hand up. If you would say, but pastor, they really don't deserve my forgiveness. Anybody? I think we feel that way sometimes. And I think that's actually, can I just tell you, let's be, let's be real in church today. I think that's actually okay. Here's what I mean. I think as human beings, it's okay to acknowledge that for us, it feels like they don't deserve forgiveness. Sometimes somebody hurts you, and there's nothing about it that feels like they deserve forgiveness. But how many of you are thankful that when you were far away from God, when you were lost in your sin, when you were broken in your shame, that he didn't forgive you because you deserved it. He forgave you by his mercy and his grace. Can I get an amen? Somebody. Come on, he didn't forgive you because you deserved it. The scripture says, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And so we don't forgive people because we feel like it or they deserve it. Oh, my gosh. We wouldn't forgive anybody if it came down to that. And nobody would forgive us. And so you can end up being right with yourself. It would feel right to you to not forgive someone. It would feel right to you to harbor bitterness. It would feel right for you to harbor anger. But that doesn't make you right with God. Sometimes you can be right with you. Be careful with always being right with yourself. Be careful with always being right with yourself. The scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it actually leads to death. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. And so we got to be careful. I don't know, but I want to be right with God. And being right with God means sometimes I'm wrong. Quite often, I'm wrong. And so let's get this right, church. And so let me give you three things that we need to overcome self-righteousness and embrace a lifestyle of teachability. All right, come on. I want to encourage you today. I know this, this sounds tough today, but, you know, we are living in a cultural moment where we, where we need this. We are living in a cultural moment. I'm going to be honest with you all. Growing up, like, the hypocrisy messages were always about the church, and self-righteousness was always about the church, and, 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 and the world was always pointing fingers at the church. Like, we might be more convinced to be Christians if you Christians would, would stop being so hypocritical and so self-righteous. Are you paying attention to the culture we're living in right now, cancel culture? I'm right. You're wrong. You're canceled. I'm right about everything. I'm morally superior. Let me get on my megaphone and show you how righteous I am and call it everything that you've done that's wrong and excommunicate you and cancel you. Hello, we're living in a Pharisee culture right now. It's a Pharisee culture. The world has gotten really good at this. <laughs> the world's gotten really good at this. And if Christians aren't careful, like, man, this can really get, this can really infect us. So let me give you three things that we need to overcome self-righteousness and embrace a lifestyle of teachability. We're going to come back next week and we're going to build on this. Number one, we need gospel perspective. Come on, somebody say gospel perspective. Gospel perspective. We got to get the gospel into the way we see life, into the way we see things. You see, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they were, uh, they were able to receive Jesus's message because they recognized it as a gift. They understood they had done nothing to deserve it. It came to them as a, as a gift. They weren't entitled to it. They didn't feel invested in it. They weren't invested in, in their egos or their, their good works. They understood that, that they had done nothing to save themselves. 
And so it sounded really, really, like really good, good news. And when we lose sight of this church, we drift toward this self-righteousness thing. Like the gospel is an anchor that keeps us from drifting. I want you to use that picture. I grew up sailing with my dad on a 20-foot fiberglass sailboat. We got really caught in a really bad storm one time. We were blowing toward a seawall, and my dad was so busy tying off all the sails, doing everything, that he forgot to drop the anchor. I was eight years old. I'm like, hey, dad, put the anchor down. Oh, yeah, son, that might be a good idea before we drift, you know, with a fiberglass boat into a concrete seawall. Come on, this is what anchors you. Are you with me? we got to stay anchored in the gospel, the truth, and the knowledge of the goodness of God that he, he, say, that he did for us what we could never do for ourselves, that salvation comes to us as a, a gift. The Christian message is not, I'm a good person, I strive to do good things, I go to church, I believe in Jesus, I gave some money to the church building fund, so I'm good and I'm right about everything. That is not the gospel message. No, no, no. The Christian message is this. Like, I'm a human being made in God's image, but I'm also a sinner. And guess what? I was wrong. I was wrong. And I'm often wrong. And, and, and I've messed up. And I've hurt people. But God is good. And Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. That is the gospel message. That is the gospel message. Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and we are more flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, than we ever dared hope. Church, I'm trying to help you today. This will set you free. I want you to live with freedom. I want you to recognize that, that this is the beauty of the gospel. I love, this, I love this quote from Tim Keller because both are true. On, on one hand, I'm, I'm more sinful and flawed than I would ever like, want to really admit, you know, <laughs> than I ever dared believe. And the gospel helps me see it. But at the same time, I'm not just some low, down, dirty sinner. At the same time, I'm more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than I ever dared dream. Isn't that beautiful that both are true? And some of you come from a church tradition where it was all one or the other. Some of you come from a church tradition that was always about, you're going to hell. You know, <laughs> it's hardcore, right? Like you're a low down, dirty sinner. Praise Jesus. So good to see you today. You know, you just left church like beat up all the time. And then some of y'all come from a church tradition, you know, where it was all like, it's all good, man. It's all love and grace and mercy, man. Like Jesus loves you. Let's all just sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya, somebody. No, it's both. <laughs> like the gospel helps you see how flawed you are, but at the same time, the price that God the Father was willing to pay when he sent his one and only son for you. You're more loved than you ever dared dream, and that changes your heart from the inside out. Come on, the gospel's perspective, it, it sets you free. I know I'm sounding probably like I'm really tough today coming at this self-righteous thing. Nobody likes to answer an altar call about being a Pharisee or being self-righteous, but I'm trying to set you free today because if you get this in your heart, it'll set you free from that, that, that thing that we drift toward where we feel like we always have to be morally superior, like we always have to have the right thing to say. We always have to vindicate ourselves. We always have to prove ourselves in an argument on social media, in this, in this conversation. Like, no, 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 no. You are made right because of what Jesus Christ did for you. I'm not standing up here as the pastor proclaiming the word of God because I have it all together. I'm standing up here by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm standing up here. Make no mistake about it. What qualifies me is, is the grace of God. What qualifies me is that I know I, I, I'm the first sinner to get up here by the grace of God and proclaim the word of God. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. And so we got to get this. We got to get this, right? Number one, it's, it's gospel perspective. And, and what it does is, here's the other thing it'll do for you too. 
it'll keep, it'll, keep, it'll keep what Jesus did for you fresh because it keeps it as a gift. Man, those, those sinners and outcasts, they could receive the kingdom of God as a gift. And the Pharisees couldn't receive it because they had put in too much work to earn it. And for them to receive it as a gift would have just exploded their ego. Let me just tell you, never lose, never lose touch with the fact that it's a gift. Never lose touch with the fact that it's a gift, church. What Jesus did for you, it's a gift. Keep it fresh. Keep it fresh. Keep your heart humble and, and gentle and soft toward, toward what Jesus Christ did for you. Is this helping anybody today? Number two, we're talking about some things that we need to do to embrace a lifestyle of teachability. Number two is we need to have a disciple disposition. A disciple disposition. See, when you're a disciple, you have the disposition of a student. Come on, where are the students in the house? We got some students in the house, though. We got some college students, maybe some high school students. We have some adults, so you can still remember. It may have been a long time ago, but you can remember what it was to be a student. There's a certain disposition, right? Come on, teachers. We got some teachers in here. When you come in, you're the one who stands up. You're the one who teaches. It's the student's job to take a seat and listen, right, as you wage the war in ignorance, teachers. Come on. <laughs> Sit down and be taught, child. Listen, this, there's a disposition, right? In the Gospels, is this imagery of the disciples like sitting around the, Jesus' feet, sitting at his feet learning. So that is, our, that is our disposition. I love that you're seated today. Come on, we want to be postured like that in our hearts. Jesus, I am seated at your feet. I'm not just a Christian. I'm not just a churchgoer. I'm not just a spiritual person, but I am a, I'm a disciple. I'm, I'm a student. And as a disciple, your heart is positioned to be teachable. Like, you know you have some things to learn. You signed up for class because you recognize there are some things that you need to learn. Just like when you signed up for that course in college, you went to college for a reason. You recognize there were some things that you needed to get so you could go into your, your field. You're expecting to be challenged. You're expecting to be stretched. You're not surprised when you discover that your will doesn't always line up with God's will. But when you discover that, you decide to choose his will over your will. Come on. That's the, that's the heart of, of a disciple. That's the, that's the positioning of, of, of a disciple. Are, are you discovering every now and then that you're turning out to be wrong about things? You know, as I said earlier, if you're not, I'm really worried about you. Like every now and then, if you're doing this disciple thing right, come on, let me help you today, church. Every now and then, if you're doing this disciple thing right, you should be discovering that you're wrong every now and then. If you're right all the time. Anybody in here, you love having a friend who's always right about, any, about everything how many of you love working with someone who's always right about everything? I don't see any hands going up in here. <laughs> I don't see any hands going up in here. None of, us, we, none of us like being around people who write about everything. If you're right about everything, be careful. That's not the disposition of, of a disciple. A disciple is a student, a student, okay? And so the truth is we're all being discipled by something. We're all be, might as well get intentional about being discipled by Jesus. Some people are being discipled by Fox News. Some people are being disi discipled by, by CNN. Some people are being discipled by the values of our culture, by the materialistic neighbor that they're trying to keep up with because they really can't afford the same kind of car as that person, but they really want that kind of car. Like, everybody's being discipled by something. We might as well get intentional about being discipled by Jesus Christ. Come on, this is what we signed up for, church. Just letting you know to follow you, Jesus, to sit at your feet, to learn from you. Whatever's got to change about me, you can change it. If I find out that my will doesn't line up with your will, God, I choose your will because I am positioned. I am sitting at your feet. I'm a student. I expect to learn. I expect to hear a sermon every now and then like this one that challenges me. 
I expect to get in life group every now and then and, and, and learn and get some perspective. I'm not surprised when someone has something to say that adds to my meaning. I'm not surprised when someone says something every now and then that, that challenges me. I can chew on it. I can pray on it. I can think on it. I can meditate on it because I don't have it all figured out. I'm a student. I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple. All right, here's the third thing. Number three, we need intentional relationships. Intentional relationships. See, Jesus invited his disciples to follow him in the context of a relationship. Everybody say relationships, relationships. Jesus invited the disciples to, to follow him in, in the context of, of, of a relationship. They were students, okay? But how many of you, they weren't sitting in a, in a seminary classroom with Jesus. They were sitting around campfires. They were, they were sitting around meals together. They were traveling together. They were doing life together. They were in relationship with each other. Like sometimes I wish I could be a fly on the wall when the disciples were sitting around, just a bunch of dudes hanging out with Jesus, being a bunch of guys. Come on, you get 12 dudes together. I don't care if they're the disciples, man. You know there were some funny stories flying around. You know there were some inappropriate jokes, and Jesus was throwing some glances, you know. Like, Peter, come on. Like, that guy, there had to be some, some really fun stuff happening. But they did life together. They were doing life together. And so let me ask you th- this question. Like, who are you in relationship with? Like, Pastor Dave talked about this last week, and it was, it was so good. Like, who are you in relationship with? Let me go further than that. Like, who are you accountable to? Let me go even further than that. I know I'm pushing you today. Who are you submitted to? Because, you know, we live in a, in a church age where you don't have to be submitted to anybody. If your pastor says something you don't like, you can just pull up and move on to the next church. I mean, that's what people do all the time. Everybody loves my messages until they got to put one into practice, like one-on-one, where they call me, and it's like, hey, pastor, I'm going through this issue. Well, hey, let's talk about what the Word of God has to say. Oh, no, no, no. That sounded really good when you were up there on the stage in your skinny jeans and you were preaching. But now, like, it's me and you one-on-one. Like, tell me what what I really want you to say. (laughs) Tell me what I really want to hear. But no, no, let's look at what the Word of God has to say. No, 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 no. Okay, that's cool. And the next thing I know, they're at another church. We're still friends on Facebook. Hey, I'll still be your friend. I'll still be your friend on Facebook. I told somebody that the other day. I'm like, hey, if this doesn't work for you, like, I'm going to tell you what God's word has to say. I'm going to love you. I'm going to help you. And if you, if you don't like it and you peace out, I'll still be your friend on Facebook. <laughs> I will. You have that guarantee for me, all right? We need relationships, man. We need somebody to be accountable to. Can I just tell you, man, like, I'm not just preaching this to you. Like, I have pastors in my life. You know, I love bringing my, my pastor friends to town to preach to you, especially our overseers, because I recognize as a shepherd, I need a shepherd. I recognize as a pastor, I need a pastor. I need people who, can, who I can pray with, who I can confess to. I need people to ask me, how are you doing, Jeremy? How's your soul? How's your prayer life? How's your marriage? How's your walk with God? Are you doing okay? Are you resting, man? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you practicing what you're preaching? Like, I need people like that in my life. I invite them. I, invite, I tell our staff every now and then, I said this to Pastor Don the other day, rebuke me if you need to rebuke me. Come on. If I'm not living up to what I poured into you guys, if I'm not living up to what I've taught you and what I've modeled to you, rebuke me. Remind me every now and then. Church, we need this. We need life-giving relationships. We need tough love, real love. And it doesn't mean we have to walk around like, you know, this isn't like, you know, the Communist Party. We're sneaking around on each other. We're going to report somebody to the secret police, Okay. But it just means we need some real people in our lives. We need some accountability. We need some, some iron sharpens iron. That's what the scripture says. We need to be submitted in our hearts to somebody, a life group leader, 
a pastor. Maybe it's just a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe it's some married people in here. You need to get really serious about being accountable with each other to your own spouse. Like we need relationships. The disciples needed them. We need them. The followers of Jesus needed them. We need them because it'll help you snap out of your self-righteousness because you can't be self-righteous when you're committed to a church family, when you're committed to a group, to a tribe, to a family, to a people. See, everything about the church is anti-self. It's not all about you. Come on, turn to somebody and say, it's not about you. It's not about you. Come on, help me preach. It's not about you. And so these are the things that help us snap out of it so we can more fully follow Jesus. Come on, if you're a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus, not just a churchgoer. You're not just a member of of a church. You're, You're a disciple, which means that you sign up for a lifestyle of teachability, a lifestyle of teachability, to be a student all over again. Come on, church, let's commit to this. Let's commit to this in our hearts. We're going to take the next few weeks to talk about this. And here's the deal. I believe it's going to help you in other areas of your life. If you get teachable, watch the difference that it makes in your relationships. You get teachable, watch the difference that it makes in your, in your career. You get teachable, watch the difference it makes in, in your parenting. In any skill, any direction, teachability, it's almost like it's the theory of everything. It's the key to everything. But I'll tell you one thing, it makes a huge difference when it comes to following Jesus Christ. Church, that's what we're doing today. Jesus, we are getting at your feet, tuned in to your voice. We're reminded today that we are students and you have the words of life. I love what Peter said. Where else can we go, Lord? For who else has the words of life? Come on, would you stand with me today? Would you commit in your heart if you're open to that? Won't you stand with me? Bow your head in prayer. We're just gonna commit ourselves all over again. Jesus, we wanna follow you. Jesus, we wanna be your students. We wanna be your disciples. Wherever we have to grow, wherever you wanna stretch me, whatever you want me to learn, wherever you wanna correct my perspective, wherever you wanna fill in the blanks, wherever you want me to sit and hear from someone else, wherever you want me to change, God, I signed up to follow you. Jesus, I signed up to be taught by you. And so, Father, that's our prayer today. We commit today to be disciples. Jesus, to sit at your feet. For who else has the words of life but you? And so we just posture our hearts today as students. Come on, would you just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Would you say that, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. Father, thank you that you'll answer that prayer. I know you'll answer that prayer. God, forgive us of the times that we've been self-righteous. It's hard for us, God. It's hard for us to admit that. It's even easier for us to admit we're sinners. But God, it's really hard for us to admit that sometimes we're right with ourselves, but we're out of sync with you. And God, we want to be right with you. We choose you over ourselves today. God, we don't want to be so right with ourselves that we end up wrong with you. And so we commit in our hearts to follow you. God, I pray that you would give us strength to be teachable because it doesn't come natural. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will do that in us and our hearts and our perspective and our minds will grow. We'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.